Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome back once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are heard and distributed throughout the country and all across the world by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to bring you the outstanding uh, podcasts with author interviews and publisher interviews with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. I'm so delighted to be talking about a genre that we have yet to talk about on the program. We've been on the air uh, almost seven years, and we have yet to talk about the genre of Westerns. And I wanted to do this for a long time, and I could not think of anyone better to have on the program uh, than one of my favorite uh, Western authors and one of the best people that I know, R.G. Yoho. And he is out with a brand new Western. It is called Bitter Water. And he joins us today. He is a native of West Virginia. He's got a passion for history and not only that, but also for tales of the American West. He was raised on a cattle farm and he is the profile author of multiple Western novels, along with works of fiction and nonfiction. He's former president of the West Virginia Writers Association, and he lives with his wife at the banks of the Ohio River. He's also a proud member of the Western Writers of America. And we're here to talk to him about his brand new book called Bitter Water. And it is terrific. If you like Westerns, you're going to love this book. And if you're trying to get into the genre of Westerns or you're thinking about getting into the genre of Westerns, this would be a great place to start. So, uh, RG, welcome to the program. So good to have you on. And thanks for being our first Western-themed uh, author that we've had on the show. Well, thank you, Alan. It's a big it's a big honor to be on your program with you. I always enjoy talking to you. I enjoy talking with you as well, and I appreciate you being here. And I wanted to ask you first, before we get into the story, um, you've been a, a huge proponent of of Westerns and, and this genre of Westerns. And I wanted to ask you uh, about the staying power of, of, of Westerns as a genre and why we still like these kinds of stories, why we still go to the movies when Westerns are made, why we still like to follow these kinds of stories set out in the in the rugged West and you think about some of the shows that, you know, you and I probably grew up with, Bonanza and some of the other ones that are still on the air, still being aired on television today. What is it about about Westerns, you know, from te- from a television and cinematic perspective, but also from a, a book's perspective that still captivates readers and audiences? What is it about th- that genre or Westerns in general that has so much staying power, do you think? I think in a world that's so uh, kind of goofed up and confused that... Westerns are are rather uh, I ain't I ain't saying they're simplistic, but there's a simplicity to them that that I think appeals to people. I, I is it, not always every Western is just straight black and white, good versus evil, but quite often that's that's what's there, and I think that appeals to people. And maybe in these uh, areas where we, it seems like there's so many shades of gray, I think uh, I think a lot of people like the fact that. A lot of westerns seem rather black and white. In 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 traditional westerns, there's uh, uh, justice meted out at the end, and things work out the way they should. And I think people maybe embrace that. And it seems like in westerns, a lot of times that there is a strong sense of of right and wrong, and and who the good guys are, and who the bad guys are. If it's 
if it's, uh, you know, the Cartwright family in Bonanza, if it's uh, Marshall Dillon in Gunsmoke, if it's some of the characters in your stories, I feel like we we figure out pretty early on as readers and viewers, if we're watching it on television or film, who the bad guy is and who the good guy is and kind of what the conflict is. Do you feel like that is something, too, that that has a lot of staying power with people that, that there's not this mystery or there's not this uh, prolonged process where you're not quite sure who the good guy and bad guy is? I think that's a lot of it, because I, I, I think people I think people are longing for uh, maybe some clarity in there in. Now, not to say that uh, the heroes and, and even good guys in stories and even mine, they have their bad traits or whatever, and and they all do. But but I think the fact is there's a good versus evil and a right and a wrong, and that's clearly defined a lot of times in the Western. I think I think that's people are comfortable with that. The many of us of our era grew up with that, and uh, I think it may be time for it to be uh, put on another generation. And I love this book because we have so many of the characters that we would typically see in a Western, but you put such a unique spin on a lot of them. And we have a loving mother and her son in your story. We have sort of this malevolent husband factoring into the story. We have a gambler. We have a group of outlaws. And then we have a fierce Apache brave. And all of these people, along with two determined lawmen, are all in need of water. And that's where the title of the story comes from, Bitter Water. Where did you come up with the idea for this particular story in terms of putting this sort of disparate group of people uh, on the same path looking for water, looking for water that they need for survival, for, the, for their communities, for their, for their farm animals, the crops? Where did you uh, come up with this idea in terms of setting that as the plot line for your story? Well, water's kind of a, a critical need in the West at that time, and even today, it's still an issue out West. Uh, people still talk about it. But I had had this idea about three or four years ago. Uh, well, actually, uh, three or four years before the manuscript was published, and it's been a while getting out. But uh, I had it about three or four years before the manuscript was published, and and it actually took a while before I really felt like I, I knew how to write this idea. Sometimes you, you just, you have an idea in your head, but maybe you're not old enough, or maybe it, it just needs time to germinate and bloom in your head. And uh, it, I started writing it, and, and I'm pretty pleased with how it come out, because it's it's something everybody needs, and they're all going for it. And uh, it just, it leads to conflict and interaction and, and I, I thought it was just a good idea for a book. One of your favorite or one of my favorite characters that you write about early on in the book is a character named Jason Evers. And I wanted to read just a, a small passage that I highlighted early on in the story and have you tell us a little bit about him and what this particular passage tells us about him as a character and kind of what he's up against in your book. And you write on page 28. This is one of my favorite passages. It says, Jason was a stranger here an intruder at the scene of a man dead from knife and gun wounds. The dead man's gun also carried one spent cartridge, making it appear he was stabbed and simply attempted to defend himself. I just love that that passage because it, it it really drops us and creates the in the middle of a scene and creates the scene and creates a strong scene to kind of really ground us in place. But it also tells us quite a bit about Jason and the circumstances he's in. Tell us a little bit about his character and what's going on with him and what he's up to. He's an interesting. He's an interesting character. He has a short role in the book, obviously, but uh, and I can't say more about that. But 
I I thought he was an interesting character, and he does come up on a scene that he's a stranger there, and if if found there, his uh his actions and and things he did there probably would be misinterpreted, and and could be subject to maybe uh being prosecuted for it. And and I think I realized he was in a bad spot writing it just about the time it hit him. And uh, that that's always interesting to me because I thought, wait a minute, this guy's stay, this guy's right here in this spot. If he get if somebody ride up right now, he's in a bad way, and he's going to have a hard time explaining everything that's going on, and his part in it or his part not in it. And I thought it was an interesting uh, interesting character. I, I I think it's interesting that you found him as a unique character too. Yeah, he's a terrific character. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, all these characters. What I love about your book is you take us as the story unfolds and we don't want to give too much away in terms of what ultimately happens to everyone uh, that we talked about a moment ago in terms of the, the characters involved. But I really like how as the story unfolds, you take us kind of from group of character or from character to character, from group of characters, to group of characters, and we can kind of all follow and see how they're kind of uh, headed for the same goal and this desire uh, and the trek that it's going to take for them to find water. When you were writing that, how did you construct that from knowing you wanted to have these characters and sequencing the stories to where uh, we're following all of these characters, but they're kind of all moving uh, in, in, I don't want to say the same direction, but they're all kind of moving in, in one direction in terms of the ultimate goal, which is finding water. How did you, did you structure that? Did you write all of one group of characters story first and then go back and insert the other characters around them? Or did it go sequentially? You were able to kind of just jump back and forth from character to character. How did that, how did that come together? Cause you do it so well in the story and it's so easy to follow and keep track of what everybody's up to. Well, thank you. And, and maybe it's more blind luck and, and skill. You know, I don't know how I got there, but uh, I, I actually, I started out pretty well sequentially. I, I thought, well, maybe each chapter would be devoted to this initial character. And, and then I just weaved them together throughout the story. It, uh, it took, that's part of why it took so long to actually write it because I wasn't exactly sure how to structure it. And even, even who came out on top and 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 maybe our protagonist isn't exactly where I planned it to be. So it was kind of unusual for me. And I also love that you worked in something so uniquely that we oftentimes see in, in a lot of Westerns, thinking back to the ones that we're familiar with, you know, from television and, and other Western books as well, that not everybody that starts the journey and starts the adventure survives. In fact, some of the people do die along the way. In terms of, you know, killing your darlings, and we hear writers uh, talk about that a lot, that, you know, you create these characters and you're so invested in them and that it's sometimes difficult to to kind of kill your darlings. How did you determine as you were writing who was going to live and who was going to survive and who was not going to make it? We don't want to give away who does and who doesn't because we want folks to certainly check out the book. But how do you make that determination when you're when you're dealing with this genre of a Western and you know that this trek is dangerous and risky for so many of them? Uh, who's going to survive and make it and who's not? How do you decide that? Is it something that just happens as you're writing or uh, do you have a preconceived notion of who ultimately you want to make it in the end? There was probably a couple characters I saw making it to the end. Uh, but some of the others, I, I really think circumstances and and just the necessity uh, the involved in the writing itself uh, led to the death of some others. And and 
actually there's a few times I didn't know how I was going to do it. And, and, uh, I'm not really big on writing. Uh, I never outline and things such as that because I'm, you know, I figure, uh, the character confused about which way they go sometimes. And I am too. So we, we kind of work it out together. And that's kind of the way I, I that's kind of the way I write. And, and sometimes I'm more lucky than I am good. You know, things work out well sometimes, but, uh, I, I really struggled with how I was going to structure this. It was it was a tough uh, thing to figure out. Did you find a certain character easy to write, or who was your easiest character to create, and who did you find was your most difficult character? Because I said, you know, we have this loving mother and the son. We have Jason, who we've talked about. Uh, we've got the, uh, the the lawmen who are on the on the scene and, and on the chase. Who who was easiest to write about? Who was most difficult for you? I think the. Uh, Quite likely, the the two most difficult people to write about were the uh, protagonist, a woman named Sarah Bradshaw, and also the uh, the, the Apache in there. I, I struggled, and and I I hate to say that my his name slips my mind right now. Uh, he was difficult to write because uh, I wanted to I wanted him to be feared and also kind of liked by the by the reader you know where they at least had some appreciation of where he's coming from i think uh the the lawmen were were probably easier to write but it was maybe a little bit more difficult to uh to put them in the story and far as what might happen with them we're speaking with author R.G. Yoho on this episode of Now Appalachia. He's the author of the brand new Western. It's called Bitter Water. And we'll come back to the book uh, in just a second. But R.G., I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit about uh, your writing process. And I know uh, you've produced uh, a number of, of Westerns already, as well as some nonfiction books. Your Kellen Malone series is one of my favorites. And that was one of the first uh, series Thank that you. I had read from you. And I understand you're working on, uh, on a new one uh, in that series. But um, in terms of your process, uh, how do you write? When do you write? What's the process like from the time you get an idea for a story until the first draft is completed? What's your writing process like? How do you do it? How do you stay on track and stay on task with writing your rough draft? Well, the job I used to have, I, I've, I've had two in my over 40 years in uh, chemical plants. I've had two places of employment. The first job I had was such it allowed me to write a lot of times at work in between testing times and whatever. And I have found out, and I don't know, I've added so many things I'm doing now. I've I found out that I really, and maybe I'm just getting older, maybe I can't keep as many plates spinning. I really struggle at it, uh, trying to trying to work it around work. And uh, I sometimes I don't know that I have a structure about writing I, I prefer to write in the mornings. I love I love mornings, but a lot of those I'm I'm getting up and taking off for work, and I'm really excited about getting back to the idea and and, and the chance to where I could get up first thing every morning, write several hours on my books, and and I think it will turn out more. But I I never write from an outline. I, I never found out I was good. I might have an idea about where the story's going. Sometimes that changes as I come about it. But I just I just splice in time wherever I can get it. I've got a lot of duties and responsibilities I have right now. And I've added some that, that make it really hard to keep all the plates spinning. 
and I find out as I get older, either I'm not as skilled or I'm not as motivated uh, to keep all that going. And sometimes, honestly, I don't know how I get it done. I'm still I'm thinking about this book and trying to figure out how I get it written because it, I'm finding it increasingly more difficult as I get older to to keep all these things going. Who are some writers that have influenced you, both uh, maybe in your past as, as a reader and a writer, or maybe someone you've discovered recently that you think, oh gosh, you know, they're they're really writing some good books, or they're someone that um, I sort of look up to, or someone maybe I want to emulate in my own writing. Well, I enjoy your books. I mean, you you do some you do some interesting mysteries, and 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 I I would like to be a little bit more like that in what you write in your books. But Louis Lamour was clearly a big influence on me. Another one that might surprise some people, I was greatly influenced by the writings and the works of Robert B. Parker. And and Robert B. Parker, probably in, in a couple characters he, he created, may have been a great in, uh, great inspiration in, in Kellen Malone and, and Joe Clement in my uh, Kellen Malone series. I, I liked I always liked the interplay between Spencer and Hulk and I thought it was the most interesting uh, thing I'd ever seen. I thought it was well done on the television series when it was done. But I, I liked the Jesse Stone books by Robert B. Parker. I liked uh, the Spencer novels. Of course, Louis L'Amour was always a great influence on me. And and I read, I, I read a great book the other day by a, a man uh, that I'm probably not going to mention the name just in, in this current thing because it's not probably a good idea for me to mention names. But read a great book by uh, uh, an author I know who's uh, actually one of the Spur judges, and and I thought it was excellent. And I find some really great writers out there. That, that's terrific. And what is something um, about writing westerns that people who don't write in that genre would be surprised to know, or that you find the most difficult to do as a writer? Well, you you do a lot of research and and you have to check and I try to I try to stick with uh, I try in, in the text and the narrative portion of it I try not to use words that wouldn't be maybe popular during that time but I, I think I think westerns are are kind of seen as uh, I think a lot of people see them as shoot 'em ups and and they're a lot more complex than I think people really realize. I think they're more difficult to write than people think they are and uh, to put in that time period and and put things that are applicable to today's society in a book taking place in the 19th century. We're talking with author R.G. Yoho. I'm now Appalachia. He's the author of the brand new Western, and it's a terrific one. It's called Bitter Water. And we'll get back to the book here uh, momentarily in the last few minutes that we have remaining on the program. And, and R.G., I wanted to ask you, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the the pursuit and some of the characters who are on the search for uh, the water and trying to find water that they need to survive and for sustenance. But we also haven't talked about uh, two of the uh, police officers or the good guys or the U.S. Marshals that are after them. Uh, and you'd spend a lot of time giving us uh, some insight into them. And those are Marshals Poole and Olson. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, Poole because you write about in Chapter 17, Poole specifically, uh, that he has really, over his career, witnessed uh, some really unspeakable acts of random violence. And as a result of that, a result of what he's seen as a law enforcement officer, he's kind of grown skeptical about life and about people in general. 
Um, and one of the things I loved about following those two men is, you know, obviously they need water as well to continue their pursuits, but uh, they're, they're very similar in a lot of ways, but Poole seems to be the more jaded of the two lawmen. And I wanted to ask you about uh, creating those characters and I enjoyed following them and kind of seeing their perspective as they're on the hunt and they're uncovering clues and they're kind of making deductions about uh, who is where and, you know, coming up on evidence that somebody was here first. Uh, writing those two characters, uh, what was that like? And and how do you make them similar in some ways? Because they're both law enforcement, but also make them a little different. Pool's a little more jaded, but uh, what was it like creating uh, the, the, the good guys that are sort of on the hunt for uh, the outlaws and some of the others? That was rather difficult. I, I, I think that may have been the most difficult thing of all, trying to make two lawmen that are pretty well motivated by the same things, but... Uh, they're kind of different in their approach. And as you said, uh, Poole tends to be rather jaded about life and, and, uh, and, and Marshall, uh, uh, Marshall Olson seems to be rather, he's, he pretty much just accepts life as it comes. He's pretty motivated to, uh, catch some people, but he, uh, I, and I think, uh, Braxton Poole's a little slower about it. He just come along to help. And then at some point, I think he becomes completely obsessed and driven by it, maybe even more so than Olsen was at the beginning. And you see this interplay, they're going back and forth between them, uh, where they actually surprise each other from time to time where they are on their approach and their uh, their motivation and even their style to get these guys. And I love the scene later on in the book where they come upon Sarah and some of the others sitting at the campfire. And I'm so glad you mentioned kind of uh, that the, the, they surprise each other because, they, you know, they've got the rifles sort of sort of centered around the the campfire and on some of the uh, the people sitting at the campfire. You know, they you write about how Sarah and the boys uh, are not harmed in any way. Uh, Sarah and her son are not harmed in any way. But uh, the fact that, you know, even though both of them can sort of have their rifles uh, aimed at the the people at the campfire, there's almost this kind of um, uh, in, uh, uncertainty about what to do next. Okay, they, they found the people they're looking for. They've they've got them within within range, within sight range, within shooting range if they want to do that. But yet it's kind of like each of them is looking at each other and trying to decide who's going to make the first decision or who's going to make the first call or what are we going to do first. And, and I love that. I, I love that interplay there that. Uh, they are very much a team, even though that they're so different in ways that they look at things. Yeah, they kind of they kind of know they they work together in the past and they kind of know how each other goes. And they they kind of each assuming the other will be there at the time they need to be. But uh, guy wants to wait as long as he can and and Paul's wanting to wait and and he doesn't want to start the ball rolling too quickly. He wants to make sure Olson's there. And, and so they're all, they're just sitting there kind of trying to anticipate what their friend would do and how he will act in this uh, situation. They think they know each other, and, and I think they do pretty well, and they've run into situations like this before. But uh, it's it's kind of, you kind of feel the tension of them waiting for each other, and, and uh, you, you just kind of don't know how it's going to go. And I, I hoped I created that well. It's kind of good to hear a reader talk about it and, and see what they like. And I, I won't say any more past that scene because I don't want to give away the, the ending, but uh, it's a terrific way 
to finish the book, I'll just say that. And it really does justice to all of these characters and to everybody's stories that we follow uh, throughout the book. So I won't say any more about past that scene because we don't want to give too much away. But but I will ask you uh, in our closing moments, uh, what are you working on next? What's the next project that you're tackling or thinking about doing or thinking about working on? Uh, what are you what are you up to? I, I've kind of started a uh, young adults book, Western. And along with that, I've got a uh, idea for another uh, Kellen Malone sequel and and maybe centering more on his son. And, and I'm looking forward to that. But I've also, uh, I've, I've got an idea in my head about a current day Western that I, I really looking forward to uh, retiring and having a chance to work on it. Because I think I got a heck of an idea for a uh, Western and, you know, writing what you know will really apply in this one. Excellent. And I can't say much more about it, but I'm looking forward to having the time to do these things and get caught up on everything I got in my head. That's great. Fantastic. Well, we certainly look forward to that uh, as well and wish you much success in getting those projects started and underway. So in our final moments with you, if, Anyone wants to get in contact with you to find out what you're up to, what you're working on, where you may be uh, speaking or signing books, where can they find you on social media and all of those platforms? How can they keep in contact with you? And then where can they get copies of Bitter Water? The best place to contact me would be through my website, which is rgyoho.com, R's and Robert, G's and George, Y-O-H-O.com. And uh, you can order my books. You can click a link on my website and it'll take you to Amazon or you go to Amazon. Any bookstore, if you was to go and ask him and ask about RGO, they can probably get you to my books as well. The title of the book is called Bitter Water. It is a Western. It is a terrific story featuring uh, this theme of water. And sort of the subtitle to this is Every Man Needs It, One Cannot Live Without It. And we follow the story of a loving mother and her son, a husband, a gambler, a band of outlaws, an Apache brave, and two determined U.S. Marshals that are on pursuit of these people, all of them looking for water, all of them trying to find uh, that water that they need to survive. Uh, it leads to um, just some wonderful uh, areas of conflict, some great scenes of violence that you would typically see in a Western, but uh, following these characters and following the story to see how their paths converge uh, is really terrific. And RG, you've done a great job with it. It's a terrific book for folks that uh, like Westerns. You're going to love this. And if uh, you haven't gotten into Westerns or folks listening want to dabble into a Western for the first time, this would be a great, great book to start with. So congratulations on the publication of it. And as you get that young adult book uh, finished or you get that next Kellen Malone story done, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So congratulations on Bitterwater. Well, thank you, Elliot. It, it was fun to write. I, it's been fun to talk to you on here again. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to say a special shout out and a thank you to our executive producer, Pam Stack, who brings these podcasts, makes these podcasts possible to you uh, each and every time here on the program, as well as all of the other podcast programs that you listen to and enjoy on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So Pam, thank you for your support and your work behind the scenes to make that possible. We also want to remind you this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 
for questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.